0: You, 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 know, I, D, I, D, in the, in the town all day. I be, I be in the, D the, S, E, A. In a you, you, know, I, D, I, D, in the, D in the, S, E, A. I be, I be a, a
1: Hello and welcome to episode 288 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton.
2: And I'm Tristan Carcino.
1: And we are coming to you in different locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time champion Storm.
2: I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Hello. Hello. Wow. You're way too excited about yeah, talking about uh, Seattle sports. Take well, that. Bring it down. Bring it down.
1: Well, the only reason that hello is appropriate this week is because okay. we're not just talking about Seattle sports. We are also, with the help of Third Pelton brother Zach Jabal, picking the second finalist, completing the finals in wow. our search for Seattle's best fried chicken. That will be the highlight of the pod without question. All right. Question. Uh, this week I am drinking a beer I did not know existed until recently. I noticed it on the, uh, on the shelves, the Georgetown war child IPA, which is part of the point break series of IPAs, which is, uh, just high quality work from Georgetown. Obviously the Bodhisattva, off uh, the Johnny Utah uh, my favorite George Chan beers. War Child doesn't back off the dankness at all. Seriously, packed full of pungent tropical and herbal aromas and flavors. This IPA will slam your senses like the impact zone surfing phrase. So there you go. Have
2: you had War Child? No, I've never even heard of it.
1: But it's canned, so it's out there. It's on all the right. shelves.
2: It's out there. The silences are back. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. I mean, I... Now more awkward than ever. <laughs> oh no. You, I'm you... really just I'm really just waiting to get to talk to talk about what we talked about with Zach Shabal after we did the fried chicken search.
1: You kind of had to fill that while I poured the beer and you you just you just let it go there. I or did I to- did
2: definitely by noting the awkward silence. Uh... Wow. Well, what a pivot. What You're a welcome. a skillful pivot.
1: <laughs> Full page ad. All right, toast this week. We start with the news, which I'm sure disappoints you, mm-hmm. that Ichiro will be named, inducted to the Mariners Hall of Fame next August 27th before a Mariners home game. So, uh, Obviously, only a matter of time until Ichiro is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not sure when he's eligible because there was like the random, you know, series that he came back in Japan. I don't know how many years ago that is. All time has lost its meaning, but at some point he'll be there.
2: All right, next one up to- slap single at a time into wow. the Mariners Hall of Fame.
1: Wow. Uh, next up to UW Men's Soccer, which are in the number two overall seed in the NCAA men's division one soccer tournament behind top seeded and hated rival Oregon. Oh. State, uh, The Huskies was the winner of, I like that. I wrote myself a note to check the score of this game and then did not remember to check the score of this game because
2: uh, you were probably see, I, so consumed with how much you hate Oregon state soccer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that must've been it. Uh Seattle U, they'll host the winner of tonight's Seattle U Portland State matchup, which was, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm sorry, Seattle U Portland match. No, that's tomorrow's. Oh, I can't check the results. So tomorrow, Seattle U and Portland wow. will play, and the winner of that will take on UW on Sunday.
2: Early edition here. Um, <laughs> Just to Kyle Chamberlain. <laughs> uh Oregon State soccer. I mean, come on, right? They they won the one match against UW, which was clearly fixed. That's correct. Even I mean, talk, talk about Pete, Pac-12 refs. Pete Carroll had some issues with the referee. <laughs> <laughs> so they win this one match against UW that is clearly fixed, and then they get the number one seed heading into this. this are there any implications? You know quite a bit about the... Uh, uh, college mid-soccer tournament, right? Are there any implications to being the one seed visas the, vis-a-vis the two seed? Not really. Okay. It's marginally easier of seeded opponents along the
1: way, but so the Huskies will host any games they play up through the College Cup in Cary, North Carolina, which is where they host the national semifinals in the finals. So obviously they would not potentially wow. meet or whatever State college is in Cary, North
2: Carolina wins it every year. Unfair <laughs>
1: advantage. <laughs> Uh, they are the the OEO of uh, <laughs> of college soccer, so we we will of course pay close attention to the Huskies run through the NCAA tournament this year. Now that it, they are part of the rundown,
2: it turns out that Cary, North Carolina, is very close to Raleigh, North Carolina. I was expecting to name some like extraordinarily obscure colleges, uh, but what came up were North Carolina State University, which is in Raleigh. Meredith College in Raleigh and the University of North Carolina at Ch- Chapel Hill. Duke didn't come up.
1: They're they're all pretty close to each other, as I understand it. I don't Wait. I don't want to get Pelton cast geography. <laughs> but no,
2: there there are oh here we go, here we go here we go. Is this one actually in Cary? What colleges in Cary, North Carolina? Wait.
1: There's well, a lot. of
2: oh, no. oh, no. University in Cary, North Carolina. I've
1: discovered some bad news now. Looking at the bracket, if oh, no. the seating holds, UW. Oh no, UW would play Duke at home. I think. There we go. So that that is okay. God, they, Duke, Duke, would Duke would not be, good be getting an
2: unfair
1: advantage. I mean, they're the sevens; they're not as good as us.
2: So. Yeah, Shaw University. They have an unfair advantage.
1: North North Carolina unseated Shepherd's in the
2: Theological Seminary. <laughs> Sure, if they're D1, not sure about that. <laughs> All
1: right, staying on the soccer theme, two OL Rain midfielder Jess Fishlock and coach Laura Harvey named the NWSL's MVP and coach of the year, respectively. Fishlock had five goals and four assists for the Rain and joined Kim Little in 2014 as the second Rain player named MVP. Harvey was awarded after taking over the team midseason and leading the reign from below 500 to the number two seed in the NWSL playoffs. Don't want to talk about those, but we will later. Harvey was previously Coach of the Year in both 2014 and 2015 in her first stint with the reign. Fishlock was joined by forward Eugenie Le Sommer and defender Alana Cook on the NWSL's best 11 first team, with Bethany Balser and Sofia Huerta on the second team. And then lastly, in our soccer talks, two Alex rolled in. As the Sounders defender scored a 90th minute equalizer for El Salvador in Friday's 1-1 draw with Jamaica. A, a trendy thing, drawing 1-1 with Jamaica in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifier. So uh, the younger Roland continuing to have a pretty remarkable year of 2021. With that, I think it's time to get to our search. It is time for our second and final semifinal final in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken and to help us make a choice this week, we are thrilled to welcome to the podcast for the first time as third Pelton brother, uh, longtime emailer and the <laughs> listener to the show and host of the Vine Pair podcast, Zach Jabal. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I don't have any real brothers, so I'm very flattered to be uh, to be the third Pelton brother.
1: Uh, you know how we do this. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about your fried chicken credentials, which we know include Philadelphia's (laughs) federal donuts.
0: It's true. It's very interesting. You know, having listened to some of the other uh, folks you've had on to help you in this process, I have a, I think, and and the two of you as well, I have a pretty different fried chicken background. It wasn't something I grew up eating. Um, I don't think I really had fried chicken in any meaningful way until I was in high school. Uh, Uh But then- became very well acquainted with the Albertsons fried chicken, uh, nice. crucial, crucial lunch stop, uh, for me and a lot of my friends. Um, but you know, I, I then really kind of got acquainted with fried chicken, um, I guess in a quasi professional sense, having worked in the restaurant industry for a long time, uh, at a number of restaurants, I actually briefly, I have actually fried chicken that people oh, paid money to eat. Uh, I have operated a deep fryer, not for very long, but, uh, uh, didn't did not have to do anything more than just uh, drop the uh, the pieces of chicken in a basket, dunk it in the oil, and make sure that I didn't uh, forget to start the timer. But uh, you know, um, I think for me that that the thing that I learned as maybe coming to fried chicken a little later in life is uh, you know that there is something to be said about the the incredible you know, range of styles that's out there. You know, I didn't have a sort of archetype in my head of this is what fried chicken has to be because I didn't eat it a lot as a kid. So I, I think I've, I'd like to think that I approach it as, uh, you know, with something of an open mind to what what great fried chicken could be like.
1: Do you have a favorite fried chicken outside of Seattle?
0: Well, as mentioned, Federal Donuts uh, has, has long been... Um, I mean, I mentioned in an an email or a a DM or something that I went three times in three days, which is, you know, that's a lot for any fried chicken. Um, I think that the other thing that I, the the fried chicken that I, that I miss uh, that no longer exists as far as I'm aware uh, is there was a place in New York city when I was living there. um, And now on the spot, I'm going to forget the name of it. And it was a, um, it was kind of a. It was Popeye's-esque, um, although it wasn't a chain. Um, I mean, I, well, no, I take it back. I think they had a couple of locations in Manhattan, but it was not like a, a large scale chain. But what they did that I thought was really kind of cool is they did um, the fried chicken um, as, you could, you could basically get the same kinds of, the same pieces of fried chicken either with or without a bone. So they had, you know, boneless thigh, boneless, mm. uh, or bone-in thigh, you know, boneless chicken breast, bone-in breast. I guess maybe if you wanted, they must've had drumsticks and wings. And obviously those were bone in uh, cause no one wants to <laughs> debone those things. But um, you know, I, 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 I don't have like a, you know, like I know you guys have talked a lot about the, the screen door fried chicken and just how I've never had it. Uh, I don't get to Portland quite as often, but uh, no, I don't have like a, you know, a North star outside of Seattle that, uh, that is like, you know, uh, if I if I had to go have one last fried chicken meal, that's where I would go. So I've been very anxiously following the search because uh, at a minimum, I wanted to have a place in Seattle that would be my, if I were dying tomorrow, fried chicken meal.
2: All right. Well, I mean, I, that naturally takes us to the two fried chickens that you had this week then. Uh, so, Quick Pack Food Mart. These these mm-hmm. are the the final two contenders: Quick Pack Food Mart and St. Hooligans. The two remaining locations, pretty vastly different. You talked about yes. those different types of fried chicken that are in the mix. You went to Quick Pack Food Mart first.
0: That's right. So it's funny. I went to Quick Pack Food Mart on Tuesday afternoon, um, and you know, I I had I had heard the episode where where you had first tried it, but a thing that I had not remembered until I got there was just how impossibly large the pieces of fried chicken truly are. <laughs> I, I don't want to know where they get their chicken from. Like it, it borderline frightens me how big the like <laughs> the thighs are. Um, but it was like, you know, you, I, I as I'm sure the both, the both of you have experienced anyone else who's been there, you pull up and you're just like, okay, you know, it is, it is a I think grimy would be, would be maybe uh, a a kind way to put it. Like it is a convenience store where you would not expect to find anything for me, at least that I would particularly want to ingest. And yet, you know, on the, on the strength of the, the way that uh, the two of you have talked about it, I was like, well, you know, let's give this a shot. I'm here. And I got to say it was, I walked in and they were kind of like, they had a few pieces of like a few drumsticks and a few wings kind of in a, like in a warming tray uh, by the counter. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of was hoping to get like, you know, a thigh or two, you know, maybe a, a breast or something like that. Cause I was going to bring some back to my wife and they were like, okay, you know, come back in 10 minutes basically. And so did that, got two enormous boxes of food. I mean, I swear the the bag weighed like 15 pounds. It was remarkable for five pieces of chicken. Um, and you know, having again listened to many of the uh, conversations, I, I definitely uh, dug into one of the thighs in my car. Actually, oddly, while listening to ESPN's Kevin Pelton talk with Zach Lowe <laughs> on the Low Post, it's like uh, this is this is almost too meta for me, but I'm gonna roll with it. Um, and I gotta say, I was I was blown away. I I don't know that I've had it was. I'm not sure that I would say personally, it's the best fried chicken I've ever had, but it was remarkable in two fronts besides just the size of the pieces. The crispiness of the breading and the fry is really, really striking. Um, The meat is really juicy and it had, and I can't still put my finger on exactly what it is, but there's a flavor in the breading itself that is somewhat distinctive. You know, there's, it's not spicy, I don't think, but it's just flavorful. And and to me, it's just, it was a, you know, it was like a, I'm going to stop and think about this kind of moment, not just because I knew I was coming on here, but like, it was a very, very satisfying thing to be eating in my car, which many foods are not satisfying. With uh-huh. them, right?
2: A chicken je ne sais quoi.
0: <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh,
2: okay, so that was your experience at Quick Pack Food Mart, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. You went to Free Large, I uh, did. This was earlier today, correct? You know, Tell us yeah, about S- ST Hooligans.
0: Well, it's it's one obnoxious thing to me about the, the timing of all this is that I actually used to live like five blocks from what is now ST Hooligans and was not aware of it until you guys mentioned it on the podcast and I had just moved. So I'm not that far away. It wasn't a huge trek, but it was like, man, I wish I'd known this existed when I was living five blocks away. Um, I think the thing with the, with the ST Hooligans fried chicken is it is like, it is very well executed I think it's well seasoned. Um, I here's where I'm going to cop to having not gotten the spicy, um, which I know will probably you know earn me some demerits. Uh, part of it because I'm sharing, I was going to be sharing it with my three year old who who isn't quite ready for spicy food yet. Um, but also, yeah. but also because um, you know I I am also not I'm also a little bit of a spice wuss. So um, it was really good. I'd had it once or twice before, um, and I I had felt always like it was quite good. I think the thing to me that differentiates the two, besides again, the truly gargantuan side of the quick size of the quick pack food mart pieces is there is an indulgence to the quick pack food mart chicken. Like it's just, it's greasier in a delightful way. The breading is thicker. You feel like you are doing something wonderfully unhealthy, (laughs) but I felt it the whole rest of the day in, in a not bad way, but definitely like, a, you know, do I really need dinner kind of way? Um, you know, I'd had it for lunch and the ST Hooligans fried chicken is more really good everyday chicken, I guess is how I would put it. it. It's not as the breading isn't as thick. The pieces are smaller. It's not as greasy, though it has a nice kind of greasy quality. The, the chicken is was plenty moist, but it wasn't. It, there was no, I guess the way I put it is for me personally, if I were saying, you know, I haven't had fried chicken in two, three weeks, I want to have fried chicken. And I want to be like, this was, this was awesome. I think I'd probably go to quick pack food mart, but I think I would go to SD hooligans more often. I don't know if that is a, is just kind of weaseling out of a, of a clear stance, but that's, that's kind of how I felt about it. After having both,
2: they both have their merits. Certainly
1: mm-hmm. uh, well, you I- don't,
0: you don't make it to the semifinals without having some real, you know, real talent.
1: Yeah. As I said last week, I felt like there was three that were cut above, which were these two and then cookies, which has advanced to the finals. Is, is that your way of giving us a
0: pick here? <laughs> well, I don't want to rush things, but yeah, I mean, if, if you want me to go first, I'm happy to, I'm yeah, happy I think we're ready them. to get into it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in the end for me, I, I think that the quick pack food, Mart chicken, just as mentioned is, is such an experience and such a, a treat in a way that SD Hooligans is very good. I will probably in my life go there more, but, but if you were to say, if I were to, if someone were to ask me go have like, where can I go have dynamite fried chicken? Like to me, that's kind of the only answer out of the two is, is quick pack food. Bar.
1: There you go. All right, Tristan, you go next.
0: I'm going next. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> uh, well, So we did these back-to-back before the Husky game, which was actually canceled. And (laughs) weirdly, after the third quarter, we had plenty of time to eat chicken. We did these back-to-back, which I think was my favorite way of eating these chickens. You know, the only previous time that we'd really done that, like, exactly head-to-head was when we did the... um, Heaven Sent, and then Azels, which both of those, they're so similar that it's basically just like, which of these two very similar things is better? In this scenario, these are two very different things, and we're judging which is better. Uh, So we did something really similar to you, Zach. We did the quick pack first, because obviously we're coming from the south, as always, uh, and heading to the north. So we we did the quick pack first, called ahead, ordered the chicken thighs, which, uh, you know, going back and waiting. Great! I'm very impressed that you didn't just stick with what was there. That you <laughs> specifically said that you needed the thighs and the breasts because that it's a huge difference between the two. We each got a thigh. I got a leg, and bit into it into the car in the car. I think I did the leg first before the thigh because I could just see that that thigh was scorching hot because like, those
1: were fresh cooked, whereas the leg had been sitting under the heat lamp for a little. It bit. was
2: also extraordinarily hot, right? It was yeah. like. Like, I, I bit into that and it was okay. Biting into the thigh was like biting into the fiery center of the sun. But, <laughs> but in a good way, right? You could taste the juices coming out of it. And every part of it, the, the fry, it's so crunchy on the outside. And it's so juicy on the inside. It's like, this is, this is the idyllic version. There's all sorts of different types of fried chicken that you can have. But this is fried chicken. And then we immediately went to the st hooligans phenomenal fried chicken i feel like with the spicy addle fried chicken it's almost a little bit of cheating though like th- they're they're fixing they're fixing the the fried chicken bracket here a little bit because <laughs> the spice doesn't come from the the skin right It comes from basically like a spicy barbecue sauce that they put on it. It almost, it is borderline not fried chicken in the same bracket. It's not, that doesn't mean that it's not phenomenal. And also in the same way that they do, their breast is a boneless breast. Like there's, I think there are corners cut here. And I like the dynamic, the dynamicness of it. I love eating the hush puppies, like the hush puppies and the chicken. It's perfect. It is a perfect experience. But when we're talking about just the fried chicken on its own, to me, there are two fried chickens in Seattle that really meet this criteria of the, the perfect ideal of what fried chicken should be. And even the fact that you it's in this corner store in the Central District, right? Like, that is, that's what it's all about. That's what fried chicken should be. And Quick Pack Food Mart, after having these back-to-back, was without a doubt my pick here.
1: Yeah, I said earlier that I thought that they were in a, a tier by themselves. And I thought on the day and eating both of these completely fresh, you know, same thing at ST Hooligans where we just picked it up and ate it in our car by this, parked on the side of the street before heading over to the Husky game. Made us a little bit late for the Husky game. And we missed much of the good offense of the entire day as it turned out. Uh, even though we were there in time for the touchdown. I thought it was, I thought it was a route in this case in favor wow. of quick pack food mart mm-hmm. the the st hooligans is compared to the previous two champs i've had it i thought the chicken was much drier this time mm-hmm. which is you know one of the one of the worst things i think you can say about elite level fried chicken uh, it, whereas the quick pack food mart is just so juicy and flavorful and delicious and i think it is a deserving finalist and i'm very excited to compare it head to head against cookies which is in a sweep here which is the first time I think that, that yeah, we've actually kind of voted with who
2: football, did Quick Pack play against in the first round?
1: <laughs> I think that one might have been a sweep. I can't remember. Quick Pack did was the, I mean they were the seven seeds. So they had a tough matchup. Or the, I think
2: it was infrared who picked against Quick Pack,
1: or the six seed maybe.
2: I think it was because infrared didn't do the thigh. He did just just the wing and the leg.
1: And they were up against Moono so like oh, that's a, yeah. a high quality fried chicken, uh, certainly. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to pair these two against each other, especially now that in break, continued breaking news, Cookies Country Chicken had their soft opening in Ballard over the weekend, now open for business full time, presumably having fried chicken available <laughs> when we go there and not being sold out, uh, not being subject to the whims of whether uh, Trophy Pizza happens to be open that particular day or not. So very excited to get to the new location as we choose our winner. In our search for Seattle's best fried chicken.
0: Wow. I just assumed you're going to have to do a live show in Seabrook. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody come out. We've got a book of rooms reserved at one of the, uh, the hotels there. Now we should ask that given your day job here. Mm. What, what's a good wine pairing with fried chicken?
0: Oh, uh, an excellent question. Um, I mean, the classic pairing with fried chicken is, and with most fried foods is sparkling wine. Um, You know, be it champagne or be it something, you know, there's there's some producers here in Washington, um, including some in the uh, they don't know it, but they're in the fresh hop region. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that's one great option for people who don't want um, sparkling wine. I think another another really nice way to go is just a, a kind of brighter, fresher white wine. So maybe something like a Sauvignon Blanc or perhaps a like a variety like Grüner Weltliner from Austria, um, you know something that's going to you know the, the reason why sparkling wine is such a nice pairing is it tends to be higher in acidity, so it's sort of refreshing, helps cut through the sort of you know greasiness of the chicken, and um, and the bubbles are kind of you know they have that same you know they're, they're they're not crispy in the way the chicken is, but they have that same kind of tactile sensation to them that that a good piece of fried chicken does um so yeah that would be that would be where i go although i will be completely honest um often when i have fried chicken i also have beer because uh beer is also a great pairing
2: of course that makes sense uh i guess we should also ask while you're here we're we're talking wine thanksgiving is right around the corner Mm. uh we were fortunate enough to uh meet up with I guess not. Third Pelton brothers, Chris Wheeler and Noah Cohen. Noah
1: uh, Noah has been in the pod. Okay, Chris is Noah. not. He's okay. he's also the the emailer.
2: Much like <laughs> Zach was <laughs> the emailer.
0: You get, uh, you get upgraded from the emailer to the third Pelton brother. I see how this works.
2: <laughs> we we successfully helped him choose to live in Seattle over Portland. So oh. yeah, that's we've influenced his life way more than ever coming on this podcast could. But. <laughs> uh he was fortunate we were fortunate enough to get some wine from him to pair with thanksgiving dinner but what would be your recommendations for a wine pairing for oh
0: man love this question because i feel like thanksgiving is one of these meals where you get almost carte blanche to pick almost anything you like like turkey you know setting aside the merits of of turkey and how how good or or bad your turkey is is a food that that its nature is a little bit neutral. So you kind of have a lot of, of room to work with. I personally, for Thanksgiving, usually will go with like, I like a really nice full-bodied white wine. So maybe something like, um, a barrel aged Chardonnay or Pinot Gris from, um, from like uh, the Willamette Valley or Alsace in France are, are great options. Um, I think you can even go with, um, you know, something like a, um, a barrel-aged uh, Sauvignon Blanc and and Semillon blend from again from France or from uh, here on the West Coast. For those who like red, though, you know, especially depending on what you might be having with your turkey, say cranberry sauce or even gravy. There's a lot of room to work with red wines there too. I mean, Pinot Noir is always a, a really nice option. I love from here in Washington. I'm Big fan of um, Cabernet Franc uh, variety, um, either as a single variety or a blend, as a kind of c- component of a blend uh, with Turkey and kind of your standard um, uh, accompaniments in particular, like I'm a big fan. One of the things that I always make for Thanksgiving are Brussels sprouts. Um, I just, they're my, one of my favorite vegetables. And I think they go, that goes really well with those kind of like hearty winter vegetables, be it, you know, broccoli or Brussels sprouts or, or kale or something like that. Um, but, but the fun thing too, to me, and again, some of it depends on, what you're doing and the size of the gathering. Thanksgiving's also a great time to try a few different things. I think, you know, it can be nice sometimes to have a wine that everyone's drinking, but, but to me, when you're getting, whether it's, you know, four, six, eight or more people together, that's a great time to try a few different wines. You can, you can sample things, you can see what works well together. Um, and, you know, that's, that's always a lot of fun and, and something that I really try to, to do at Thanksgiving and other kind of occasions where there's a gathering of people, because, you know, one wine is good, but, three or four wines is better.
1: <laughs> that's a good answer for sure. All right. We mentioned the vine pair podcast, Zach, where else can uh, people find you?
0: Uh, yeah. So they can, you can search for uh vine pair podcast on the podcast platform of your choosing. You are presumably all listening to this on a podcast platform. So um, that's a good way to find me. Uh, you can also find me on social media at Zjabal, Jabal, uh, G-E-B-A-L-L-E is the last name. And uh, yeah, I'm. You can occasionally catch me at my friend uh, Aaron Takovyi's restaurant, Sorrel, up on uh, Madison, up on Capitol Hill. I do some work with him with his wine program, and we do occasional events there. But uh, since the pandemic started, I've been much more of a homebody. So uh, we'll be out there uh, on restaurants uh, in restaurants again, hopefully before too long. But uh, but for the time being, yeah, I'm more of a, a creature of uh, of the internet than uh, of real life.
1: Nothing wrong with being a creature of the internet.
0: (laughs) I I certainly can't knock it.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Zach for joining us. Uh,
2: and helping decide so that the we don't know exactly when we're going to do the final of chicken v chicken quick pack food mart cookies country chicken and their new location we're getting a lot of messages about people going to cookies for the first time ever and now that it's in ballard and i have to say the reviews are Phenomenal! Rotten Their Tomatoes positive, one hundred percent fresh rating about uh, for Cookies Country Chicken.
1: They're not quite Taco's Chookies. I feel like is the most every person we recommend this to goes there and says it was great. That's number one. in I terms feel like of the ta-
2: Taco's Chookies faded a little bit for me. They just got they got a little too big. I I don't agree with that. The last time I had it, it was probably pre pandemic, but I was just like. It's fine. I've had, see, I've had it
1: multiple times during the pandemic. It was good. Uh you wanted to talk about though, something that came up at the end of that conversation.
2: After the conversation. We'll, we'll play
1: the clip here.
0: Um and I got to say I, I I didn't mention it other than alluding to it, but I'm actually with Tristan on the fresh hop thing. So There we okay. go. I wow. think I think I just think the I I think the uh, I think it's more that the Yakima Valley needs to brand it more aggressively. They need to own it. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you have nothing else going on, Tristan, but I can put you in touch with some people if you want. (laughs) To
2: (laughs) Thank you. Once again, I have been proven correct. Uh, in many ways. I don't know about proven. (laughs) Proven correct vis-a-vis you, the likes of you. We'll see what happens when the voters are voting for PeltonCast MVP this year, because there are a lot of amends that need to be made. And... (laughs) You say that as if I've won Delton Cast previously. <laughs> as if it wasn't
1: both of us that got snubbed. Snubbed. Mm. It is the Fresh Hop region. The listener, this is interesting because the listener Glenn Christie, the London, one of the London listener, sent us an email over the weekend saying, My little sister is visiting from Vancouver and brought me my first ever Fresh Hop location questionable Gohawks, and it's a backcountry brewing from Squamish. British Columbia Maple Bay IPA fresh hop IPA so that's I, I I guess a third potential Northwest hop region I don't know
2: those hops couldn't be that fresh oh no
1: I did ask him how he uh, how it was and this was immediately after the Seahawks were shut out by the Packers seventeen I guess we didn't even talk at the top like. What a, what a horrible week continuing. We were just horrible moving on Fortnite of Seattle sports. It's it's been rough for a long period of time.
2: You're here, saying Seattle. this is like Fortnite for Seattle sports, so every single team has been murdered. I was
1: referring to the English term oh. Fortnite. I was saying it was like Wimbledon, but all Seattle
2: sports lot losing. I really I really got what you were saying about this was like Fortnite for Seattle sports. Okay, and the Kraken have destroyed every other one.
1: The Kraken the curse is, it's going strong. I uh, did want to mention quickly while we're on the food topic, this is the third week of Little Woody's Fast Food Month. And the, the biggest tradition of them all, obviously, the Little Big Mac. There is no more classic fast food sandwich than the Big Mac. And having it with the quality of Little Woody's, the care that they're taking with it, outstanding as always. All right. So you've got until next Monday to to get that before the final week is the little Crunch Wrap Supreme.
2: I might have to, I don't know, I have to figure it out. I live very far from any Little Woodies, but. It, that is true. I might, I'd like to have a little Big Mac.
1: Okay, so now we are forced to talk about Seattle sports mm. and not the toast section, the oh, bad no. section. The it bad starts section. with the Kraken. Let's it's talk just about. The, the whole thing is the bad you know, section. Thanksgiving's coming up. That's true. Any plans? <laughs> I'm I'm going to your house. Oh, weird! What are the odds? I guess that's assuming I've been invited. I don't know if I've been formally invited. <laughs> You're pondering it. We'll see. Oh no! Well, you know what we haven't seen in a while is a Seattle Kraken victory because they are currently on a franchise record. You could five just take out the word Lisa Kraken Street. and just
2: say <laughs> Seattle victory.
1: UW UW basketball has gotten some wins oh, against opponents ranked in the three hundreds. <laughs> Uh, a 4-2 loss earlier Wednesday night against Chicago on the heels of a 4-1 loss Saturday against Minnesota and a 7-4 loss Thursday against Anaheim a lot of a lot of goals in the fourth period the fourth period the third period of that one uh, the Kraken have now dropped to I wrote 5th for some reason they're actually 15th in the Western Conference ahead of only the Arizona Coyotes who you may recall got their first of two wins against the Kraken is part of this losing streak to begin it uh, Philip Grubauer's 88% save percentage last among goaltenders with at least 100 minutes on the ice as we sort of talked about last week in the, the listener email. Uh, the Kraken have allowed the second fewest total shots in the league but the fourth most goals against wow. them, which seems bad.
2: Man. It seems aggressively bad. So Gr- Philip Grubauer is, he's the, the villain of the start to the Kraken season, right? He, he is if you had to give one reason for why the Kraken is not gaining points or whatever. People have 100% targeted him, correct?
1: He has not played up to the expectations. Again, his career track record, as we talked about last week, uh, with the the email from the listener, Eric Gratz. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, the the defense is doing its job in terms of preventing shots. I I haven't looked at the expected goals to see, you know, whether there's just a lot of high-quality shots in there. And it does seem like they have a tremendous ability to get caught uh when they're like subbing when there's a line change and all of a sudden there's a rush from the other team on a breakaway
2: fortunately for philip grubauer it's hockey and it would be okay to punch a player and push a player <laughs> we did have a fight tonight oh there we go i feel like they're, they're bad enough they should just be fighting a lot
1: apparently the chicago player involved in the fight had the uh the classic Gordie howe hat trick which is a goal assist in a fight oh no I, I I took that from the TNT
2: post game coverage. So, uh, are, are we we're at the point now where we're we're, we're border we're borderline Jim Morris Senior. playoffs, right? Yes,
1: I think okay. definitely
2: we're getting to that point. I think we're, we're getting to the point where we're starting to think about lottery ping pong balls. Okay, wow! And it's only November seventeenth. The franchise has only existed for like a month. <laughs>
1: has i think it is it precisely a month no it can't be precisely a month october 17th was a sunday so it's it's been a little bit over a month but yeah it's not not been a great run for seattle sports in general or the Kraken in in specific uh not a lot to say this week on the sounders who were off with the international break they'll take on real salt lake as a reminder in the first round of the mls cup playoffs next tuesday we'll have a preview for that Next week on the pod, since we'll record again before that with the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, a little bit of updates on the health standpoint with players playing abroad knew who left Cameroon's one nothing victory over Ivory Coast with an apparent shoulder injury. No, no word yet on the severity of that. Javier Ariaga left his national team, Ecuador, ahead of their match Tuesday against Chile due to a right leg injury. Returned to Seattle. Love this. Brian Schmetzer said he's hopeful Ariaga will be able to train in full on Friday or train on Friday as they get a sense of whether he might be able to play next Tuesday. Joel Paulo and Raul Ruiz Diaz are expected to train in full on Friday. So among the players who weren't uh, playing for their national teams on international duty, the biggest health question right now, Nico Lodero, who's dealing with a bone bruise. He's expected to be a limited part of Friday training, but somewhat less likely, I think, that we'll see him on Tuesday. Dragon! <laughs> the,
2: I mean, you know the Sounders are losing this match on Tuesday, right?
1: I do not know that, good sir. <laughs> they don't have a long track record of losing playoff games at home.
2: I'll tell you, times have changed.
1: At least not within the Brian Schmetz area. I mean, there was Portland, they lost the, the two-legged series in the second match was at home but in that case i think they i think they still technically drew the home match uh the the exception though to the Kraken curse lately had been ol rain who had surged up the standings in the NWSL, winning laura harvey that coach of the year honors and sadly that run came to an end in the semi-finals in their playoff opener on sundays they lost 2-1 to the washington spirit Lorraine got an early goal, in fact, the earliest in NWSL playoff history from Eugenie LeSemere in the third minute, but saw Trinity Rodman equalized less than 10 minutes later. Ashley Sanchez got the winner for Washington in the 68th minute as the rain were unable to convert plenty of chances into an equalizer. They attempted 23 shots, but just three on goal as their season came to an end. Uh, later Sunday, Portland, the top seed, was also upset at home in the other semifinals, setting up a final Saturday in Louisville between Washington
2: and Chicago. Ah, oh, at least those hated thorns lost. But <laughs> yeah, your whole they haven't done this in the past. Things just ain't the same for gangsters. Like the the whole scenario with Seattle Sports has been put out of whack here. The equilibrium is all off. Yes. Man, there's been a weight dropped on on one side of that equilibrium and it's playing at climate pledge arena. Well, certainly better than Crypto.com. I truly don't know.
1: (laughs) Uh, There is an undefeated team in Seattle sports, and that team is UW Women's Basketball, which got a pair of wins last weekend. Uh, 57-51 over San Diego on Friday, and their opener 72-65 Sunday over Northern Arizona. Did this despite turnovers being a major issue for a team without a traditional point guard in the starting five, having committed 60 6-0 6-0 in two games, including 10 for Haley Van Dyke against the Toreros press. But Van Dyke also had a point has had point-rebound double-doubles in both games, while Nancy Malky, 6'9", Nancy Malky, is expected pacing the defense with eight blocks. Opponents have shot just 34% from the field so far against the Huskies. And good news is Missy Peterson has successfully returned from an ACL injury with 16 assists in the first two games to lead the team. A much tougher test for... Uh, The the Huskies coming up on Saturday as they host number 10 Louisville. The Cardinals reached the Elite Eight last season but lost star point guard Dana Evans to the second round of the WNBA draft. They begin the season ranked number six before an opening loss to Arizona on a neutral court in South Dakota. And our old friend, Dia Barnes, this is a homecoming game for sophomore guard Haley Vanlith, a Wenatchee team, a Wenatchee native, I should say, who led the team with 19 points in the opener. Does that not count as a homecoming? That's mid. If it's a homecoming for Prosser's own Kellen Moore, when he when he becomes UW football coach, then it definitely... When he becomes
2: Wazoo's football coach, yeah.
1: It's a homecoming. <laughs> no, we determined that UW is not that much farther away than Wazoo, although clearly Prosser is Cougar country, I have to say. It's fresh hop country and Cougar country. All right, UW men's basketball did win both games they've played since we last recorded. A 73-62 win Thursday versus Northern Arizona, and then a 72-65 win Monday versus Texas Southern. Pulled away late in both of those games. They outscored Northern Arizona 21-14 in the final 10 minutes and came back from a halftime deficit against Texas Southern. Downsizing and playing man-to-man to finish the game with P.J. Fuller in place of center Nate Roberts. They ended up beating the Tigers, though, by a similar margin to St. Mary's earlier on that West Coast swing for Texas Southern that also included a blowout loss to Oregon. It's already clear that Terrell Brown Jr. is going to be the primary driver of offense for the Huskies. He's averaging a team-high 17.7 points per game, also leads the team with 4.3 assists per game. Nobody else has more than three assists total on the season. He had all nine of the team's assists on Monday against Texas Southern. (laughs) Huskies currently 345th out of 358 God. Division I teams in effective field goal percentage, making 37% of their twos and 26% of it's, their threes.
2: It's funny because, like, wh- when I think about it, I'm like, maybe all college teams are just bad at scoring. But then they are, like, teams have to be ahead of them if they're 326. Those teams aren't as bad. It's just up. It is uh, legit. Three, 345th. Okay, th- yeah, 344 teams are better than them at offense. And probably pretty much all of those 344
1: teams have played a tougher schedule. <laughs> uh, and the, the idea that Northern Illinois was going to be much improved this season oh, God, took, a, no. took a pretty sizable hit in their oh, second no. game as they lost to Indiana 85-49. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Huskies will get a bit of a their their toughest test of the season thus far on Thursday <laughs> as they host Wyoming, a scary opponent. After doing in their first two games what UW hasn't thus far, crush, crushing lower ranked opponents at home with a pair point. of wins. Oh no! they combined throw
2: a pass. Clearly, they're not doing
1: that. <laughs> no, they throw the passes. The shots just don't. They just get bad don't after score the... after that. Uh, a pair of wins for Wyoming at home by a combined 78 points. They are top 10 in the nation in effective field goal percentage on both offense and defense. Wow. So not, I, even though the U, UW is still higher rated in Ken Palm, I'm not liking the Huskies. They're higher rated week. in Ken Palm than Wyoming. Yes. Wow. Wyoming started much lower. All right. Following up a story we talked about last week, Jim Hayford resigned as head coach of Seattle university men's basketball after last week's report from Jeff Goodman of stadium hoops that he repeated the N word during a practice it is clear to me that Coach Hayford is no longer able to effectively lead the team, Seattle U Athletic Director Shaney Fink said in the release announcing his resignation. Chris Victor will continue as interim head coach for Seattle U the remainder of the season. All right, with that, let's talk about UW football. <laughs> We've got some uh, some updates on the coaching search, such uh-huh. as it is. Uh, there's already another Power 5 Opening oh, a head coach is Virginia Tech fired Justin Fuentes on Tuesday.
2: There's going to be so many. I mean, it's, it's only
1: it's mid-November. Yeah. I mean, we still got a couple weeks left of the season and <sighs> already there are six power five conference jobs open. And then there's only six because one of them already got filmed. Uh, so some reporting from my colleagues at ESPN.com on, on uh, Wednesday. As Washington scrambles to begin a coaching search, two names that should get significant interest are Baylor's Dave Aranda and Iowa State's Matt Campbell, sources say. Former Huskies coach Chris Peterson, expected to advise athletic director Jen Cohen in the search, thinks very highly of both Aranda and Campbell. Aranda's ties to the West Coast and success this season at Baylor have significantly boosted his stock. He might end up having his pick of Pac-12 jobs between USC and Washington. Which, tough choice. Uh, Campbell, who we mentioned briefly last week, coached Toledo to three bowl games in four years before moving up to Iowa state cyclones is 41 and 32 in his six years at the home and went eight and one with a Fiesta bowl win last year, bit of a disappointing 2021 season. There's six and four, four and three in conference thus far, but still 21st in FBI efficiency. Campbell has an offensive background and his teams have been in the top 20 in offense the last two seasons, but he just signed an eight-year extension in January, which has mm-hmm. his base salary at $4 million, according to the Des Moines Register, substantially more than the $3.1 million in base salary Jimmy Lake was making this season. So unclear whether the Huskies can really compete financially for Campbell. Is for Aranda, you may remember he was the defensive coordinator at LSU during their national championship season before taking the Baylor job to replace Matt Rule. After a 2-7 first season at the helm, the Bears are back in Big 12 contention this season at 8-2 and two after upsetting undefeated Oklahoma last weekend. Rand is a native of Southern California and does have some coaching experience on the West Coast, although he's, he's really gone all over the country. His buyout is, quote, sizable but not entirely eye-popping, according to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic.
2: I- so these, these are the optimistic choices. When you, what are there any is there any other chatter around coaches? Are we that's, are we done talking about coaches before we, we get it? This, these are the two. Matt Campbell is like he's the number one coach who's ready to move up of basically any coach in the country.
1: Uh, I don't know if I would say number one of any coach in the country. Who I mean, who else say, would be in that? Well, mix. I guess I guess Luke Fickle just signed an extension at Cincinnati, so maybe that takes him out of that mix.
2: He would be the most attractive candidate, though. I think. But so Matt Campbell is, could hypothetically have his pick of three or four jobs that if we're taking out biases are better jobs than the University of Washington. Like, yes. yes. When I think of the University of Washington job, it's like, what is the best case scenario? Assuming you're a young coach who wants to move up through the ranks. Like, I, I don't think if you have any ties to the Northwest that you would say, that's where I want to end up forever. You know, everybody would say that, of course, but speaking real talk-wise, like, this is not a job that you're going to go to if you have success. Stay here for the rest of your life unless you have ties to the region.
1: Or you're the... I mean, Chris Peterson sort of has ties to the region, but also it's just, like, was not the kind of coach who was interested in that top-tier job.
2: And, I mean, Chris Peterson coached there for the rest of his coaching life, but also ended his coaching life Much earlier than many other coaches in his position would. Hopefully his life will continue to long outlive his coaching life. Coaching life. (laughs) So if you're Dave Aranda, right? And you're like, I want to be at the pinnacle of college football, which is the SEC. And or the Big Ten to a lesser extent. Right now, there's a very good chance that he could go get that job at LSU in this very moment. It does seem pretty logical, yes. So I'm sure he's quite popular there. In LSU, to me personally, I think it, the the positive that UDEP has going for it is I think it is the third best Pac 12 job. Not open job. I think it is the overall third best Pac 12 job. Do you agree with that after Oregon and USC? Maybe yes, UCLA. Agree. It could be could be fourth. I mean, people are talking about
1: Chip Kelly is a candidate for the UW job. Now, that's probably partially because of his job security is a little shaky at UCLA. But yeah, I think that would suggest that UW is ahead of UCLA in that packing order. We got Rick Neuheisel when he was hotter.
2: Or it's close, right, between those. So I think the positive that you have going for you as UW is there's no external factor that you absolutely cannot succeed at UW in the way that I think some of the lesser schools in the SEC there is there is a ceiling to what you can do as the coach of name the school basically anybody who's not georgia or alabama and in the future you know they have oklahoma and texas joining the conference right like there're going to be so many major college football programs in the sec that it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to exceed at the high to succeed at the highest levels if you're the coach of tennessee Ole Miss, Mississippi State, places like that, right? Like the chances of a place like Ole Miss, unless they land Arch Manning, Ole Miss is probably not going to be playing in the college football playoff, right? There's always a cap to how far you can go as an SEC school. And I don't think, I think that, uh, accepting all of the bias that exists against West Coast football, I think that the college football playoff likes having a Pac-12 team in the mix, and the writing is the, on the wall that we're going to be expanding to eight teams. And there's going to be – it's going to happen. There's going to be a Pac-12 slot for the college football playoff, right? Like having that – the amount of competition you're facing at the University of Washington, if you can have a Baylor-sized program or success at the University of Washington, you could hypothetically be in the college football playoff. You can compete for the Pac-12 championship year after year while being good, but maybe not great and being overmatched at those levels. You can sort of get that attention. I mean, I think it's partially what Chris Peterson did, right? Like if you take that exact same Husky team and you drop them into the SEC, I think they're a ranked team, but they probably are not playing in the college football playoff the year. in, they're not playing in that Peach Bowl against Alabama if they play the entire gauntlet of the SEC. So. I think that is a positive to a certain extent that you're on the outside looking in a little bit, and I think it's what gives you an advantage over that second and third tier of those those conferences. LSU is not that, though. We saw LSU win a national championship within the last five years. Like, we see LSU players, when they're doing the dogs in the NFL thing at the Husky games, and you're just like, cool, like, these are undrafted free agents, many of them, for the Huskies. Some were drafted high. But, like, they had the number one pick in the fucking draft. They have Jamar Chase. They have Justin Jefferson. Like, they have superstar players in the NFL. And the Huskies have had some nice players in the NFL. Very good players. Uh, And But it's just not the same. When you're going out to recruits and you have Jamar Chase being... Runaway for rookie of the year so far through halfway through the season. You have Joe Burrow as the number one pick. It's not the same as Jacob Eason being number one on the uh, on the Colts depth chart for a couple weeks. Well, Carson Wentz <laughs> had COVID.
1: Look, Jake Locker is evidence that UW you know players can get over drafted in the in the top ten as well.
2: Uh, I mean, UW you know, players can get over drafted, but it's just like there's there's a whole host of SEC or of LSU I players. Yes. Yeah. No,
1: I mean, LSU is clearly a better job than UW. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. And so so. it's
2: the same for Matt Campbell and Dave Miranda, where it's just like, and if you get far enough down, but I think I I wonder if that's good. That's that's why I gave you the list I did on Sunday. I, your list was much more reasonable than many other people's lists, but I think it's, I think Kellen Moore, if he's going to leave the Cowboys is probably only going to leave the Cowboys for the UW job. Yes. I also don't think Kellen Moore is going to leave the Cowboys, I don't but think so either. I don't think it's a waste of time to have that conversation. It would be nice if they were able to get to honest answers with themselves early, because if they're spending, if they are waiting, this is what the fuck happened to John Donovan, right? And look, maybe Jimmy Lake is just a bad evaluator of offensive coordinator talent, which I think potentially is a fair perspective, but, the, I mean,
1: John Donovan wasn't like literally the only candidate, besides, but completely out him. of left
2: field, right? Like, but yeah. the, the 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 pecking order of offensive coordinators kept going other places because we were w- taking time to find these. I mean, these Joe Moorhead didn't go to Oregon until after uh, John Donovan was announced, if I recall correctly. I don't think that's right. You think we chose John Donovan over Joe Moorhead? I do think that I mean I you know maybe he already you know they already had a
1: sense that uh, he was going to go somewhere else or you know his salary expectations were much higher. He was uh, announced january 21st 2020. John Donovan was announced January 10th
2: 2020. So bad should have just... they should have cut ties at that moment. but <clears throat> anyway. We can't wait out these coaches to the point where, like, if we're being honest with ourselves, Matt Campbell is not going to be the coach of the University of Washington. And I would love to be wrong, but that's just the reality of the situation. You talk about money, like, to compete for these coaches, they're going to have to be willing to spend money in the way that programs, like, the amount of money that USC is willing to pay a coach and the amount of money that LSU is willing to pay a coach. UW is going to have to beat those offers. And I'm just not confident that they're going to be able to do that.
1: I mean, I mentioned base salary. Matt Campbell also has a clause that I think it's every win over seven above a season. He gets an extra $250,000 bonus. So like he, he's making a substantial amount of money. Now, I think there could be some desire to move on just because if the Big 12 is going to be a less prominent conference. He might want to be somewhere else. But again, this would have to be his ol- only
2: opportunity, though, because you talk about, OK, James Franklin goes somewhere and then Penn State is open, right? Like the amount of jobs that are going to be open. We we know a fraction. I mean, of I'm not sure the you right a
1: better job than Virginia Tech, is it?
2: Maybe. I, probably, I but there, there's probably a little bit more recent success than Virginia Tech. But yeah, I mean, you can certainly make a stronger, a strong case for
1: Virginia Tech being a better job, better fan support. Uh, you know, it's not maybe as quite as easy a place to recruit to as Seattle. So, oh, that's so I think recruiting's been for easy.
2: That was it was funny. Where it was like, how is how is UW going to keep their recruits? And it's like, will they have bad recruits to begin with? So oh,
1: well, that's no, no. <laughs> it, it's the number of recruits, not the quality of them. I mean, I, I did think that was a Seattle Times story. It was like, how why could they possibly stay committed if the coaching changed? And it's like, man, if you tried to explain that to someone who didn't understand college sports, like wait, they wouldn't be care about where they were going to college in terms of like the university or the location or any of those things. I have a relationship with your coach and the scheme and all those things are very important. But also, yeah, like you're picking a college. It's still the same college. The university isn't moving
2: to Bellevue. It's still going to be there on Montlake. I do think the types of recruits that they have coming up are a factor, though. If they had the absolute top tier recruits, it probably would be a concern. But the reality is they don't. Like they, they have a lot of, play, they have players at the right, like do water hit them? Right. I mean, like they, Kate, his younger
1: brother level. is probably not leaving depending on who the coach is. Like that probably wasn't the reason he was coming here. It's wow. actually probably because his family has like generational ties to UW and his dad recommended Mark Bruner or something uh, or his grandpa, maybe his grandpa. I, I may be getting the story wrong. Uh, we have a listener DM. about oh. the uh, coaching search. who wanted to talk about one of the candidates we mentioned last week. Uh, This is from the listener, Alex Walker. Please be the Coastal Carolina guy. Oh, sadly, no. We don't have anyone who's a Coastal Carolina fan on the pod. (laughs) Uh, Alex says, I think that Blake Anderson as a candidate is spot on. I'm from Edmonds and currently live in Salt Lake City. Uh, I'll give you burrito Rex next time you're here after doing grad school at Utah State. Blake Anderson came into a situation at USU where the locker room was in total disarray. The school had just fired the best coach in its history, former Oregon State coach Gary Anderson, who's no relation, and the interim coach accused the school of racism when he interviewed, causing the team to not play their final game of the 2020 season. It was a complete mess, and Anderson stabilized it. I was just hopeful for a winning season, but the team now is in the driver's seat for the Mountain West Conference Championship game. It's been a remarkable turnaround. I'm not sure he would be interested in moving on so quickly from USU, but I think he'd be a good coach to get the program heading back in the direction we all want. Plus, unlike Jimmy Lake, he did actually play and beat Washington State.
2: Oh, there we go. So, that's excellent feedback. I've looked up this person's history, and I guess it says he's on the Comedy Central television series... Workaholics.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely him. Blake Anderson was the one who coached at Arkansas State for many years after Brian Harson and and uh, Auburn coach whose name I'm now blanking on, Gus
2: Malzahn. Uh, All right, s- seems reasonable to me. I mean, I don't. Uh, I I think this is the type of coach who we're going to end up with. I still am hopeful for. I I still am hopeful for someone like kellen moore or somebody in that territory but i i just i i don't feel particularly i don't think it's particularly likely that somebody like matt campbell was going to be coming here again would love to be wrong seems like he's probably a very good coach uh, but you know at the same time blake anderson spending one season in the mountain west i feel like the the coaching carousel of college football like it's definitely things have gotten much hotter this season and the way that people are responding to this uh And how quickly coaches are being let go of, I feel like mid season, this is more coaches than I've seen almost any time.
1: It's very unusual.
2: So I I think that would be the question mark with somebody like Blake Anderson is, you know, just you've uprooted from Arkansas state to Utah. And if you're only I would be surprised if he only spent one season there, but again, who knows? And then you also ask that question. If, if he is a coach is willing to leave Utah state after one season, Who's to stop him from, let's say he has one great year at UW, and then, you know?
1: Yeah, although the bar is much higher at UW than it is a location like Utah State to find someplace better. Uh, let's talk about this week's game. We really didn't talk about the Arizona State game where they they started strong up 14 nothing, It was like, okay, firing John, John Donovan fixed everything. And then maybe, maybe not actually is the, uh, the one defense remained a substantial issue in the 20 play drive that Arizona state ran for a touchdown uh, with two completed passes. I believe it felt like none. Uh, and then, then the late pick six of Dylan Morris, uh, <laughs> husky has got a touchdown <laughs> to get back into it. But uh, uh, that only had one play to throw a hail Mary. And that was it. Uh, so, We saw Sam Heward rotating snaps, rotating series last week with Dylan Morris. Uh, Interim coach Bob Gregory said earlier this week that grad transfer Patrick O'Brien is also getting snaps this week in practice and could make his UW debut Saturday at Colorado. I think one thing, in addition to Heward, who was most obvious, it seemed like there was a concerted effort to just get a lot of different players in the mix. We saw JV on Sunday in the backfield alongside Sam Heward. And getting O'Brien a chance to play, uh, you know, what might be his last college playing time uh, in his final year, you know, it kind of seems of a piece with that.
2: They're having fun with it, you know, yeah. they're, they're making sure that the players are happy because these games don't matter. Like, oh, these ga- I mean, the Huskies do need to win both of
1: these games if they want to make a bowl game. I mean, that that is a meaningful thing to play in a bowl game to get those extra couple of weeks of practice. I guess so. So that starts with winning Saturday at Colorado. It's been a rough season for the Buffaloes, who went 4-2 and two last season under first-year head coach Carl Durrell, the one-time UW offensive coordinator under Rick Neuheisel. They started this year competitive against then-number-five Texas A&M and Denver, losing 10-7, but a 30 nothing loss at home the next week versus Minnesota was a better indicator of how the season had gone. They did manage to shut out Arizona 34-0, and upset Oregon State 37-34 uh, have been... Just trucked on the road, losing 26-3 to to Cal, 52-29 to Oregon, and 44-20 last week to UCLA. So the Huskies, despite all everything that's going on, six-and-a-half point favorites in this matchup. The Colorado offense ranks 112th in FBI efficiency, 20 spots behind the Huskies. Freshman quarterback Brendan Lewis is one of two Pac-12 quarterbacks with a weaker QBR than Dylan Morris, having averaged just 6.4 yards per attempt. And Jarek Broussard, who was last year's Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year as a freshman, paces the offense with 4.8 yards per carry, as no receiver has reached 300 yards this season for Colorado. Buffalo is not very good defensively, either, ranking 91st in FPI efficiency. They're a little weaker relatively defending the run.
2: So. Did you see this Mel Tucker contract? I yes, I did see this Mel Tucker contract with, with Michigan State.
1: What is it? Like 10 years, 95 million? It really Nine is years, just 95?
2: like, honey, be careful. Like it's
1: not even that. It's like we're we're spending this much for college football coaches.
2: I mean, that's what I'm telling you is like Mel Tucker, I'm sure he is a very good football coach, but like he's been a head coach for 3 seasons and two of them were losing seasons. <laughs> So have and then you have one good year. I
1: mean, th- I'm going to say it. this: this is what happened with Mike Hopkins, right? They extended him after the NCAA tournament in the second season.
2: Not not looking so hot now. But it's the other. I mean, yes, but like Mike Hopkins was at least good in his first two seasons at UW. But Mel Tucker got a job for a single year at Colorado, turned around their program, I guess, to be at five and seven. Yeah, I mean, one they, bad year they, at Michigan they State. Beat UW. one good year at Michigan State which is still to be determined exactly what that means. But because of what's happening in college football with these coach contracts and the the carousel that's happening, Michigan State is like, we have a good coach. We have to lock him up forever by throwing massive amounts of money at him so that one of these bigger schools don't come for him because of this this change that's happening. And can we just fucking start paying the players like th- these colleges are going to such absurd lengths to not pay the players they're like we're paying coaches $10 million a year for having one winning season out of three head coaching seasons but we cannot pay the players like this is it is nonsense what's happening within college football and how money is being allocated and you talk about like there's not an infinite amount of money there is isn't an infinite amount of money within college football It the money does not ever stop. If UW wanted to, if they wanted to go out and pay Matt Campbell or whatever, like these numbers are gonna be monster that these coaches are going to get this year. Like the number that James Franklin gets, it's just gonna keep getting pushed higher. If Mel Tucker has one winning season and is getting paid nine and a half million, how much do you think Nick Saban is worth? $50 million a year?
1: It's very similar to CEO salaries where you know the well, because of the fact that other people are doing it, therefore we have to do it, even if there's not any evidence that doing it is actually there that works. much poaching that
2: happens among CEOs.
1: Um, there's enough, apparently.
2: I'm I'm pretty yeah, skeptical. Let about me tell that. you,
1: they're they're making more than 95 million over 10
2: years. Well, there's I mean, there's probably yeah. a lot more successful CEOs than college football coaches. Um, yeah
1: whether any of it is actually just random all of it is just randomness is still up for
2: that's that's, I'm like do you really think that Michigan State is building a I mean again I don't know maybe they are but like is Michigan State all of a sudden going to be in a class with Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin or whatever like I'm not convinced of that because they had one good season right but he's getting paid nine and a half million it's just like the more that these I, I feel like the as these numbers become so astronomical, people are going to have to take a step back at some point and be like, "We are paying the coaches of amateur athletes." I mean, I mean there's people going to be never coaches. take a step back.
1: It just, it just that's not that's not a I mean, people have taken steps back actually because of like the lawsuits have forced them to. Exactly. Or the California state legislature has forced them to, but it's not because they've been like, "Wow, maybe this is too much money for coaches."
2: That's it never is, the scenario. It is ridiculous what's happening. So to, to act like there isn't enough money in the college football program, like there's an endless pit of money.
1: Well, clearly we don't think there's enough for Matt Campbell at you do know.
2: I, uh, I don't think that they're willing to, I don't think they're willing to go into a bidding war with LSU, with USC and win that bidding war.
1: Right. Uh, chances of victory this week. 80%. Oh, that's way too high. I'm going oh, like 65. I, I, I mean, sure. I am still concerned about Colorado running over UW, but I think as long as they can, I think they're going to score more points than they did the last couple weeks. So I think they'll be okay.
2: Are we considering Sam Heward's red shirt done?
1: No, it sounds like Sam Heward will probably play only one of the two remaining games.
2: So likely we'll play Apple Cup. I, I
1: guess if, if Orion is going to play this weekend, that seems like the logical outcome.
2: Can we go into the Apple Cup with Sam Hewitt as the starter?
1: Uh, I think it's possible, but I, again, don't think that the analysis is that he gives the Huskies the best chance of winning from the coaching staff.
2: Okay, if UW loses to Colorado, then there's basically nothing to be playing for, right? Sam Heard's future is more important than anything else. I, that
1: assumes that playing Sam Hewitt actually helps his development, which is assuming facts not entered into evidence. Okay. I also still think if you're the interim coaches of this team, you have a lot to play for in this game, in that game, whether it's for bowl eligibility or not. Okay. Uh let's re- let's go to our favorite segment, the one where good things there actually go. happen, because it's not here in Seattle. If you loved something, let it free. And we love Jay Kaner, and he has been set free at Fresno State, where he had 24, went 24 of 31 for 300 yards and three touchdowns in Saturday's 34-7 win over New Mexico State. Me. New Mexico? New Mexico.
2: Just kidding. New Mexico State. Wow. That's what I was thinking about Chip Kelly. It's like, this man got destroyed by Jay Kaner. He can't be the coach of Dub. Wow. You know who should be the coach of UW?
1: Kellen DeBoer. I still haven't looked up. Jake Hainer.
2: Oh, Jake Hainer. Wow.
1: (laughs) Is this his last year of eligibility? That would be an unorthodox choice, to say the least.
2: (laughs) Okay. Seahawks time. God, he's so much better than any quarterback on this roster.
0: (laughs)
1: Well, he's named Jake. Uh Just goes without saying. Uh, Seahawks. At 3-6 after being shut out on Sunday in their 17-0 loss to the Green Bay Packers. A loss, by the way, that did not feature Odell Beckham Jr. as he signed with the Rams on Thursday. A day before their wide receiver Robert Woods suffered an ACL tear on practice, OBJ had two catches on three targets for 18 yards in his debut as the 49ers upset the Rams 31-10. The one thing that gave you joy from football. This oh, weekend.
2: I, I'm like, I, I think that I say that on a podcast and I'm like, I'm like half a Seahawk fan, half an anti Rams fan. <laughs> it, it really is like, they're the Astros or something this year. Like the Rams have moved into full on villain territory for me. Like everything about what they've done, cheering against Matt Stafford's success and especially by not calling him Matthew Stafford, <laughs> which you're upset about. It's his
1: name. I don't, I don't want people on podcasts calling me Kev.
2: We're he goes like by that. Matt Stafford. No, I he s- doesn't. You're just like, it is exclusively Matthew. Yes, he wants to be known as Matthew. When you Google Matt Stafford, like Matt Stafford comes up. Yeah, because a lot
1: of people are getting overly familiar with Matthew Stafford.
2: <laughs> a lot of people. TMZ, Matt Stafford's wife. Sorry for oh, throwing pretzel oh, fan. Okay, and we're going by TMZ now. That's what we're going by. I'm just saying there are three headlines that came up, and one doesn't say a full name. One says, Wife of Matthew Stafford, <laughs> apologize for throwing pretzel on 49ers fan. And the and the last one says, Matt Stafford's wife. So his,
1: his Rams bio says Matthew Stafford. That's usually what I go by as a rule. God, you're so There's concerned. Not social media availability. How I about mean, the, the man's name is his name?
2: <laughs> okay. Wants to
1: be called Muhammad.
2: Call him Muhammad. Okay. I don't think that Matthew Stafford wants to be called Muhammad for what it's worth. Um, (laughs) No, 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 but (laughs) cheering against Matthew Stafford has become, become a real passion of mine this season. Uh, But it is kind of absurd. Like the think pieces, this is, this is the worst thing about media. This is what I told you is people are looking for the story of the stats and the stats are Matthew Stafford just played bad, but, They're looking for the story of it. And somehow we need to link recent story Von Miller and recent story Otto Beckham Jr. And ignore recent story Robert Woods not being there and treat, treat that like those two things somehow made Matthew Stafford played badly. Aside from the a long history of Matthew Stafford playing badly, you take you personally as a person who should understand sample size, realize that the first six games of the year are not as important as the full season. You don't jump to conclusions that Matthew Stafford is the best quarterback in the NFL, despite having like a decade of evidence that he isn't because of one half of a season with Sean McVay. But okay,
1: no one was going to say that he was the best quarterback in the NFL, that he was performing at the highest level of the NFL, which he still is over the full eight weeks, even incorporating the two terrible
2: weeks, the last by what metric EPA per play. I would that information. <laughs> Never heard of it.
1: I think he's number one by DVOA as well, but I have not checked that specifically because that's not what I looked at for the Kyler Murray stats. Uh, so, Dwayne Brown day to day for the Seahawks with a hip injury.
2: No, we're not. We're not talking. We're not talking about future we're news still yet. Talking about Stafford? No, no. We're, I'm fine. We can leave Stafford alone for okay. a second. But if I, they think they play the Jags on Sunday, don't they? No, they have a I I think they have a bye. Ugh. I only have one thing to root for this week. <laughs> if, if they get bills, though, and lose to the Jags, oh, I would love it. Anyway. Pete Carroll. So we talked briefly on Sunday after the Seahawks game about that game. Pete Carroll starting his radio show on Monday morning. I only listened to like five minutes of it because I just could not take any more. But starting by complaining about the refereeing in that game, and I just have to say, thank you Pete Carroll because you were spot on on every single call in that game it's just like one after another you go into Lambeau every team how many times have our our beloved Jared Goff led Detroit Lions played (laughs) against the Packers and been so screwed by the referees and this game Kevin King clearly dropped the ball in that interception and then the the worst part about it is Gene Steratore coming on after and being like, oh, that's commensurate with how they're calling this. It's like, fuck you. I have been watching the NFL. The only thing that's commensurate with how they're calling it is that they had a shitty call on the field and they maintain that shitty call on the field because that's the only thing that's commensurate. Just because it's wrong the, 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 the first time and you called it wrong doesn't mean it needs to stay that way. Kevin King clearly dropped the ball. And I feel like this is not even a I story. And I don't to think me, that
1: it could be clear because the definition of what is a catch,
2: despite the, their attempts to clarify it, is the not The ball clear. hit the ground at the end of the play, though.
1: Okay, but that could be a fumble that they recovered that would still be their ball. That's how that works, actually.
2: Is the, is the way that it's written, you no longer have to go to the ground and maintain possession as long as you have possession at any point? Uh,
1: look, I I. I'm not going to expl- sit here and explain the rule book. I don't have it memorized.
2: Okay. Ben Baldwin well, does. That ball, that ball was on the ground. Russell Wilson got a first down on that scramble. But let's say that let's say the Kevin King interception gets overturned. We're talking about a radically different game.
1: I mean, yes. You're also still talking about a game in which the Packers had dramatically outplayed the Seahawks to that point, even if it was 3 3. So I don't know why that would change going forward.
2: You think they dramatically outplayed the Seahawks at that point? They had dramatically outplayed the Seahawks to that point. I'm not sure if I buy that. They okay. had their best drives happened after that.
1: I mean, they had some pretty good drives that resulted in short field goals and missed short field
2: goals previous to it. Okay. Anyway. I, appre- I appreciated Pete Carroll going on there and calling. it, calling it like it was and saying that he was going to have some conversations with the league. There, there are some people who are just like, oh, he's such a baby, whining about it. It's like the reality is he's going to go have those conversations with the league. This isn't me posting on Twitter, right? This isn't us talking on a podcast. He is talking to the league about those calls. And it's an important thing for him to address because it did change the outcome of the game.
1: I mean, I think there's some value to having the conversation with the league, but if you start with that is why you lost the game, then you're not going to address the real underlying issues,
2: <laughs> which is that Russell Wilson was injured and they're definitely not going to address those underlying issues.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much to do with that fact, but I mean, the other thing here is they, they did not run the ball effectively against a defense that, you know, is, did, the
2: did, did they not run not the ball effectively sorry, did they not run the ball?
1: Well, that's Yes. They did not run the ball against a team that was playing a lot of too high as they do and offering that opportunity. And that means that Pete Carroll saw his shadow and we're going to see a shit ton of runs on Sunday. Whether Chris Carson is back or not, which it sounds like not.
2: Do you think that was uh, game planning for Russell Wilson's injury, choosing not to run? Or I, I just, I don't see how Pete Carroll could go into a game, especially a game where They're playing at Lambeau Field and say to himself, I really want to pass here like that is just nothing about the history our history with Pete Carroll over the last 10 years suggests that that is ever going to be a decision he's going to make unless there is an external factor that is pushing him there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just they didn't get to those plays because of the fact that the sort of the early downs didn't play
2: out the way that they were hoping. They I, didn't get to the run plays. I, I don't know. Let what me to just tell you say here. again. There has been nothing to suggest over the last decade of Pete Carroll that they're not able to get to the run plays. You know which plays they're usually not able to get to.
1: I do know what plays, but I also know that they threw 40 passes and ran the ball. I mean, there were 16 runs. I don't know how many of those were Russell, Russ scrambling, but at least you know two or three of them. I think were Russ scrambles. Well, I mean, I don't think there was any design runs for him. So five of them. There were 11 called run plays and 45 called pass
2: plays. It. I. I
1: really this think that, shocking. And they didn't trail that much until the last two drives of the game.
2: I. I really think it had to do. They. They altered their game plan a lot because of Russ's injury.
1: Because he can't hand off I mean, they, you know, they weren't able to play under center. I guess that is a big part of it. They don't consider themselves as effective running the ball out of the shotgun.
2: I, I'm not here to unpack exactly why that's the case, but I can guarantee you there, there had to be a reason why they didn't run the ball more, especially because they ran the ball fairly effectively here. And uh, Pete Carroll, if that is the case, would never in his entire life choose to pass the ball that much unless he absolutely had to. Yeah. So, I I think it was a really wonky game and they weren't able to, for again, we don't know exactly what the reason was. They were not able to effectively take advantage of the weakness of the Packers' defense. And I think it screwed up a lot of things. They The Packers were able to sit back and play against the pass and Russ wasn't effective. Like, it's just the Packers always luck into the shit. That's it. And can we also just discuss the lengths the Seahawks are willing to go to to try to have a successful screen pass? <laughs> <laughs> Someday they're going to hit it. and It's going to be very exciting. The first ever flea flicker screen pass that I've ever seen in my entire life.
1: I mean, it probably worked in practice because they were playing against the Seahawks defense.
2: <laughs> That's why all their screens are terrible because they play, they run them against the it's Seahawks a, defense. You never see it coming. Like, I don't think there's actually
1: evidence. I do have a theory that like, you know, you football is bad at running the ball this season it is terrible at stopping the run. Like, I do wonder if there's an element where those things are correlated in terms of if you don't actually get tested by nearly as good as practice as you're going to face on, on the game, in the game, can you truly prepare
2: on either side of things?
1: The movable object to see is beating the stoppable force.
2: So I don't know. I mean, it's at this point you. I think the only person, the only consistency for, because they have basically never been able to defend or run screen pass. I mean,
1: KJ Wright could defend the screen pass.
2: This
1: has been discussed at length this week,
2: and no, he at, at no point did anybody think that they should just coach resign Jordan, KJ well, Wright resign KJ Wright. <laughs> that was what I thought. I don't know, Coach Jordan Brooks. How to defend a screen pass? Just uh, like. I he's, actually think I think Jordan he, Brooks had a pretty good game. He said he might call KJ Wright to ask about it. Did he really? He did. There it is. <laughs> well, it was that easy. Just calling KJ Wright. That easy. Clearly, nobody else here has any idea what the fuck they're doing. So they've gotten to the point of call a player who used to be on the team who knows how to do this. Because your defensive coordinator, Hall of Famer, Ken Norton Jr., maybe not. Uh uh, Pete Carroll. Bobby Wagner somehow doesn't know how. Like, ugh. Uh, I I don't know what to tell you here on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Well, all right. I, I if you know what if they defend screen pass as well against the Cardinals. A toast to KJ Wright next week. Oh, for sure. For
1: <laughs> sure. So say, I tried to mention Dwayne Brown, the biggest injury concern. At this Tra- point. I want to mention Trey, Trey Brown also. I mean. Oh. I mean, the defense generally played quite well, all things considered.
2: I think there were some throws that Rodgers missed a little bit. He definitely was not sharp in this game. But Trey Trey Brown, so far through, I mean, he started four weeks. Looks like one of the better. He looks like the best Seahawks draft pick since DK Metcalf. Yeah, that's probably true.
0: And DJ
1: Reed has done... A nice job on that side. Dwayne Brad, uh, he's got a hip injury day-to-day, did not practice today. That's the biggest injury concern. Uh, Ryan Neal, who suffered a concussion during the game, was able to clear protocol and practice. Was uh, he concussed protocol. when
2: he got hit on that block, not block in the back? Gene territory saw nothing wrong. Possibly. I'm not sure about that. It's like, did they even get it? They got a personal foul when D. Eskridge got hit, right? Or did they not? I don't remember that. I feel like they didn't. I feel like they I didn't mean, they, even call they anything. Did,
1: they did get some personal fouls in that, that scenario where DK Metcalf got ejected for the
2: game. There were personal fouls
1: on both sides on that play.
2: I, no, no. I'm not saying that there weren't. I'm saying week one against the Colts when DS oh. Rich was concussed. I don't know if they called a personal foul on that play.
1: I mean, I'm not even sure it was an illegal hit. I think it was just maybe an unfortunate situation. Just
2: because you're concussed, it's not mean it was automatically an illegal hit. I'm going to mm-hmm. say that. I, I I think if you're, I don't know what play Ryan Neal was hurt. I think if you are blocked, blindside blocked so aggressively that you're concussed, I'm pretty sure that's a penalty.
1: I mean, there are things that are dangerous, but are not penalties by the letter of the law. So the Seahawks on Sunday host the Arizona Cardinals who have been one of these season surprises, not to Tristan, but to the rest of the world. Certainly they thought that they were clearly the fourth best team in the NFC West. They started the season seven and zero before losing on Thursday night football to the Packers who were without three wide receivers in that game, including Devonte Adams, uh, Kyler Murray suffered an ankle sprain on the final drive of that game and has missed the last two weeks DeAndre Hopkins has also been out after playing just 15 snaps against Green Bay due to a hamstring injury and those are the looming injury question marks along with backup Colt McCoy who beat San Francisco in week 9 after uh, Murray was knocked was unavailable but then lost was started last week in the 34-10 loss at home to Carolina and left in the third quarter due to a pectoral injury. Murray and McCoy both practiced on Wednesday. And Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury told reporters, quote, we'll see about Murray playing Sunday ahead of the Cardinals bye week. So he's a Pelton cast listener uh, and, quote, it's going to be close. Murray said, quote, I hope so about playing on Sunday and that he's, quote, pretty close. Uh, McCoy should be capable of going if Murray did not does not. But uh, Hopkins did not practice on Wednesday and seems less likely to
2: play in this one. Confirm that I that there was not a penalty called on that play.
1: Okay. Uh, the loss to Carolina dropped Arizona from first in DVOA to fourth. They are now 11th in offense and second in defense. Kyler is second to Matthew Stafford in EPA per play and number one in CPOA this season. Colt McCoy has been a little below average in EPA per play in the two weeks he's played. Uh, Hopkins, despite missing the last two weeks and part of the much of the Green Bay game, still number four in receiving DR in the league that's a volume stat, of course. Kirk is third and number one in the per-target DVOA, where Hopkins is second. Christian Kirk's catch rate has gone from around 63% his first three seasons to 84% this season wow. without any loss of yards per reception. Newcomer A.J. Green, who's really filling that Larry Fitzgerald role for them as the uh, sure-handed underneath receiver, also been really good on our per-play basis, while rookie Rondale Moore has been only fine.
2: Wow. I mean, the advanced stats are not going to like Rondell Moore with the, he's just not getting the ball down, down the field at all. It's a short yardage thing. He's basically operating as not that far off from what the Seahawks probably envisioned the Eskridge doing. Yeah. I mean, that was
1: someone we talked to. Rondell Moore was someone we talked about as a possible Seahawks target. I think he went ahead of where Eskridge went, but in that same kind of range. Cardinals rushing attack twenty second in DVOA after finishing second in two thousand nineteen and seventeenth last year, and it's all because of Kyler Murray, who's last in the league in rushing DR this season. So maybe limited mobility if he plays this week wouldn't be such a bad thing. James Conner is eighth in DR, and Chase Edmonds, who's on IR with a high ankle sprain, has an even better DVOA on a per play basis when he was
2: healthy. What in the world? Yeah. Why is that? What's going on? I- I don't know. Huh?
1: Colormore is much better at running than passing his first two seasons. This season, he's awesome at passing, but can't run.
2: That is very strange. He got the Russell Wilson old man body really early in his career.
1: <laughs> much too early, all things considered.
2: He He's definitely been, you know, he's coming off an injury at the end of last year. Uh, hasn't played since this injury, so I guess maybe I wouldn't be surprised if he was a little bit slowed down. Yeah, I think in this one, if
1: he does play, he'll probably be a little limited in terms of mobility. Uh, Along with Buffalo, Arizona is one of two teams in the top 10 in both rush DVOA, where they rank eighth and pass DVOA, where they rank fourth on defense, uh, up from 10th overall last season, allowing just 6.4 yards per attempt against passes and also in the top 10 in sack rate. Marcus Golden has nine sacks already, three and a half shy of his career high set in 2016, and they've gotten six from Chandler Jones. They are allowing a league-high 4.8 yards per rush attempt, which makes it a little confusing that they're in the top 10 in rush DVOA. Uh, It seems like they must be giving up a lot of yards on scrambles, which are technically passes in DVOA, appropriately passes in DVOA, and not runs. The Cardinals have forced a league high fifteen fumbles this season and have recovered eleven of them. Mm. Something that is likely to regress to the mean. Uh, they lost newcomer J.J. Watt to a shoulder injury in Week Seven that could end his season after surgery.
2: Fishy, uh, and and what was the? Let me see here. What was the fumble ratio on Sunday against the Panthers? Any? Uh, I did not look that up specifically. I mean, that's definitely an interesting sort of unseen aspect of fumbles lost Carolina fumbled two and lost one Arizona fumbled two and lost one really just a lot of fumbles in that game. Uh, so not not to the same percentage, you know, to 50 percent recovery rate in that Panthers game. But it's one of those unseen things that happens in the NFL where, you know, sometimes these trends can continue for an entire season. But also, sometimes these trends can change very, very quickly, uh, as turnovers, turnovers often do, and defense in general. You know, I think looking at some of those underlying stats, there there are some weaknesses to this Cardinals defense. There are not a ton, but it's not going to be impossible for the Seahawks to move the ball against them.
1: I mean, this is a team that features a lot of former Utah players who did not go undrafted. They went very high in Buda Baker and Byron Murphy, although not as high as the Seahawks picks
2: ahead of them. <sighs> oh there's that trusted inside that's all right we got trey brown we're good okay <laughs> yeah we're set. Now. set for the next decade uh when on the other side of the ball you know i really think it just depends on who we get in this game like obviously kyler kyler murray is such an important player here i think the cardinals are going into their bye after this week so that is correct if they didn't play Kyler Murray, you know, you're giving him a pretty extended period of rest there. You know, they're they're more or less guaranteed a playoff spot right now. I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals didn't push it. Obviously, you don't want to you want to have Kyler Murray for, you know, a division game against the Seahawks. But I think if there's even a chance that he's not all the way ready, I could see them still holding Kyler. I'm fully expecting later this week. Are you going to change? Maybe this will change by this morning. I am fully expecting Kyler Murray to not play in this game.
1: Well, they do have a quarterback on their roster who beat the Seahawks in Seattle last year. I know, and that quarterback is Colt McCoy. So, I yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be stunned if we see him on Sunday. I I'm going to expect Kyler Murray because I expect the worst and prepare for the hope for the best. But, uh. I, I mean, that's still a losable game for the Seahawks. even. Oh, if yeah. When well, we're Fair full
2: enough. on, like, I told you this last week about the Packers. The record is bad enough that you don't even care who you beat at this point. Oh, no. No, absolutely not. If they were starting Kendall Hinton, I'd be like, that's great. <laughs> so. We got a Chris Strevel, a Streveler appearance. Hey, they, uh, there's a good chance Streveler plays in this game. I don't know if I'd say it's a good chance. There's a chance. I'd I bet you we're going to see a Streveler snap. Oh. One way or another.
1: I'll, I'll take that bet. We'll have to okay. decide offline what we're betting
2: on then. If only we were going to the Phil's Donuts the next day. I know, uh, but uh, you'll pay for them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely paid
1: for both of the chicken last week. <laughs> you did buy, <laughs> buy the donuts though.
2: There we go. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, I think we're gonna see some Chris Stravoy though. Yep. Mm-hmm. The. It's a losable game with Colt McCoy. I like the Seahawks odds with Colt McCoy as a starter. You know, I think that 49ers game was a bit of an anomaly. And I think it was one that, for whatever reason, just got away from the Niners. Uh, But those two teams, the Cardinals with Colt McCoy starting, are a worse team than the 49ers are. If they play that game a hundred times or whatever. And I think it kind of just got out of hand, especially seeing that Panthers game that we saw last week and just how quickly and comfortably the Panthers won it. You know, I, I don't think we can expect that, but I do think we should do percentage odds of victory. Kyler or no Kyler. Cause that's a big that factor. Sense, yes. And I, I, also, say
1: I like the Seahawks chances better if they had Cam Newton for short yardage situations.
2: There we go. Uh, I, I also think there we go. You you disagree. You think that he would have ruined the locker room. No, not if you're the Panthers. Well, you yeah. don't understand situations. Uh, there's PJ Walker is their starting quarterback, Sam Darnold. They don't have Russell Wilson. I'm saying if we could bring in
1: Cam Newton for short yardage situations to go
2: along with Russell Wilson, just as a designated go in sneaker. there, score a touchdown, get a personal foul called. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he could do what Dylan Morris did at the end of the Sam Hewitt
2: touchdown If drive. If Dylan Morris would have learned anything from Cam Newton, he did not celebrate <laughs> enough.
1: <laughs> we didn't actually score the touchdown. I guess Cam, that's true. Cam scored it himself. Dylan Morris just came a day and did not.
2: No, Cam scored two touchdowns, right? I feel like he, he only— His he,
1: first rush was a touchdown, and his first pass was a touchdown.
2: Oh, he threw, and he only got flagged on the first one, though, right? As far as I know. I think that'd be really fun if every single time Cam Newton scored a touchdown, <laughs> he got a celebration penalty. Uh, but that one was just like, he, he earned that celebration penalty, right? Cam's been through a lot. He went out and oh, got vaccinated. Yeah. He did what Joe Flacco couldn't do. He went out and got vaccinated for that job. Like, Cam Newton, Cam Newton did some shit for that celebration penalty. Agreed. So, well, prop, props to him. We should have toasted to Cam Newton in the beginning of this podcast. But, but... I think another week of, of Russ, we're not going to see the Russell Wilson we saw in Green Bay. There's there's whether Russell Wilson was injured or not, which I, as you could tell, very confident that he was not right in that game. I mean, he was definitely injured, whether he was affected by the injury or not.
1: I, I think there's a good chance that he was affected by the injury. and I, I agree. When he just airmails a pass five yards over Tyler Loggett's head. That was it. Out route, like, what that's, what are we doing here? I uh, know. When, like, when I'm, I'm not sure Roster, we got to. Like, it didn't affect we, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to say that.
2: Do you have I, to say that? Why? Because,
1: I mean, I guess I was going to say you don't want to make excuses. But be careful Carroll proceeded to make a lot of excuses with the referee. <laughs> so, I don't know. Russ never wants to show any sign of weakness. I guess that, would be the way I'd put it. I, I
2: like I like that, but it's another week to get healthy. Like I would be very surprised if we see that Russ again. It's another week to get back in a rhythm. If for some reason it wasn't a health thing, if it was just a rhythm thing, playing football like this is going to be Russ. He's going to be he's going to be looking good in this game, and I mean, playing against a very good defense. But. Yeah, that, and that's the concern. Is
1: I don't buy that the Seahawks offense is fundamentally broken, but I don't know that I also buy that this is the weekend it's going to get right. I think if you're going to win this game, it's going to be more at the defensive end of the, the side of the
2: ball. Just need enough. Just need enough.
1: I mean, More than zero. Vegas seems to be thinking that Kyler is going to play. The Cardinals are two and a half point favorites in this one.
2: I thought that was strange. I think the line moved toward the Cardinals throughout the week.
1: It did, yes. I mean, I guess because of the fact that Kyler practiced today. I mean, mean, the movement happened before that, but I guess that's the indication that he might play.
2: All right, chances of
1: victory with or without Kyler Murray.
2: I think with Kyler Murray, it's like 46%. And without, I think it's up to like a 65%.
1: I'm going to go 40% with, and I will agree with you about 65% without. So, uh, obviously, at this point, it's not technically a must win, but it's basically a must win. Unless you want to have to win like seven consecutive games at the end of the season to make the playoffs.
2: I will forever remain optimistic. Oh. I just, but- I know that there's going to come a time when this Seahawks team is going to, it's going to click. And I just hope that it doesn't happen too late.
1: Have you considered the possibility of the Kraken curse?
2: Kraken!
1: On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.